Damn, this is it. A red letter day for irony lovers everywhere. I can see it now. Addison tells Hayes she's late. Film at 11. Pinch me, this must be a dream. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepard. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now, this is going to take several years, as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's let's get get started. That's how it works in my head, because otherwise she wouldn't have been able to plan it. Yes, that's true. And I guess she knew that Harlan would gladly meet her there and she could kill him easily. I love the song. Of course, the song is perfect. And Glenn, again, mentioned in our interview that um, that was Bruce's choice. Bruce suggested that song. Yes, This Old Heart of Mine by the Isley Brothers. Good song. Yeah. Great song, perfect fit for this. Gosh, I mean, this old heart of mine, you know, that's what we're dealing with here. Yeah, like you said, there's an air of danger. There's an air of like, ooh, dark park in the middle of the night and you're like meeting here and it's sexy. They get close. There's a bit of a kiss. Of course, we don't like seeing him kiss people other than Maddie, but all right. You know, it's kind of a half kiss. You know, she really turns her head and she doesn't really let it happen fully, which I think shows that She's just using David. She's really not attracted to David anymore. She doesn't really want much to do with David. She just needs him mm. there to like witness this. Yeah, it wasn't much of a kiss at all, but I thought I heard somewhere, read somewhere that he thought it would be sexier to do it that way. Okay. Bruce? Yes. Just kind of make it kind of wanting yes. and not full on. Yeah. But part of me wants to like, seriously, just kiss her, will you? <laughs> like, when people kiss, you want them to kiss. You know what I'm saying? I know, but I think he did try to kiss her, but I think she was the one that was turning her head and like not letting yeah. it happen though. Yeah, you she's know, pulling away a little bit in a nice way. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I saw. But yeah, I mean, come on, it's David. Like any of us want to see a full on kiss, even if it's not with Maddie. I think it's a lovely scene. He grabs her hand and says, come here. And there's a wide shot of them standing there. And this is where you really see how tall he is. I don't know why. Yeah. Unless the camera's lower. I know. Yeah, if she's 5'6", and he's supposed to be like about 6'1", and it's funny because some people are like, oh, if you saw him in person, he's not that tall. But then other people say, oh, no, he is tall. You know, I've, I've heard mixed stories on that. I was like in an Uber in LA, and the driver said that he had driven him before he wasn't, he was short. <laughs> 
I was like, what? No, no. he's not. I mean, you can yeah. tell when he's next to Sybil. Sybil's like 5'10", mm. and Bruce is taller than her. So he can't be that short. No. He's mistaken. Sorry. <laughs> I really like how he is hugging her and his face, he's closed his eyes and he's so happy and content that he's with her. And he's, I think these old memories are coming back. And he's kissing her on the yeah. forehead and then she sees Harlan's car. So they yes. have a bit of a yes. dialogue. He wants to go with her and she says no and he wants to go with her and she says no. I don't know. The car seemed a bit close to me for him not to notice, but I suppose it's dark and she yeah. probably had her husband propped up with his head looking their way maybe, <laughs> I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> gosh, yeah. And she goes there, has an altercation and shoots him. And she has her witness. Yes, exactly, she does. Exactly what perfectly. she wanted. Don't worry, I saw the whole thing. What better witness mm. than a detective? What a cool customer she is. She set that up like really well and almost got away with it. And this is where I get confused about this scene because I keep forgetting that the driver is on the left-hand side. So when she, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. when she's opened the door, he's in the driver's seat. So, yeah, yeah. So if she was smart, she would have had the passenger window open and just shot outside. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that way, there would have only been one shot in him. Wait, you know what I'm saying? The passenger window open. Yeah, but wait. The reason he had two bullets is because she killed him first, right? He was already dead. That's and right. And then she had to shoot him again in front of David. That's okay. right. So wait, what, what are you saying? If- yeah, if she was smart, she should have had the passenger window open when David was there and then shot him through the window, not shooting him because he was already dead, and then that would have only had one bullet in him. Oh, I see. <laughs> That's true. But what if they then found the second bullet casing somewhere nearby? There would still be two bullets. I mean, there's still two shots. So. Okay, so that's where she should have taken the bullet casing from the first shot. Well, it might have been inside him. <laughs> no way. <laughs> We're like, okay, she may have had the bullet casing, but still, if she shoots the gun a second time, that bullet is going to go somewhere, whether it goes in Harlan or flies out the other side of the window. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep. And and they always like scour this, you know, they collect all the evidence around the scene and they're going to find the second bullet. And I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> we're trying to to protect your murder listen to us we're private detectives we just know everything about guns yeah we (laughs) yeah i don't know i know nothing about guns but two shots is two shots that's all it boils down to whether the bullet inside him or not we'll get to discuss that further in a little bit later scene and good acting here real hysterics and david looking shocked and concerned and he really believes it after everything that's happened why wouldn't he believe it? Well, yeah, you got a crazy ex-husband on the loose. I mean, these things happen all the time and it's believable. We're now at the police station. A policeman comes in with a hooker and he ties her up to the chair. And it's so funny how Maddie goes to sit down and she says, Hello. What? They raid the Bel Air Hotel too? <laughs> Great. The lighting on this actress, it's beautiful. Beautiful lighting on her yes. as well. Yeah, her name is Tyra mm-hmm. Farrell. Mm-hmm. She's had quite a few gigs. A hooker on Moonlighting. She was in the, an episode of The Twilight Zone in 85. She did 11 episodes of The Bronx Zoo. 
she was in 30 something. So she did four episodes of 30 something as Ricky Bianca. She did six episodes of ER. I don't know if anybody recognizes her, but she was Dr. Sarah Langworthy. She was in The Cape from 96 to 97. And she was in the TV series Empire as Roxanne Ford in 2015. Looks like she's still working. 2018, she was in Chicago PD as Mrs. Burton. The last thing she did was in 2020. That's Tyra Farrell. Yeah, she looks familiar. Definitely seen her in other things. Yeah, Maddie. Okay, so here's another example. David calls Maddie. He's always keeping her up on, you know, for the most part, what's going on. You know, leaves a message. She comes down, needs her support, I guess, through this, even though he's dealing with Jillian, he still needs Maddie there for support. And of course, he comes out, you know, of his interrogation, being typical Addison, joking with the guy saying he'll have to get back to him on the name of the the maid in the Jetsons. And <laughs> Yeah, what did he mean by that? that? Why is that? Oh, I think it's just... It's just a joke. He's just saying, oh, tough questions, but I'll have to get back to you on the name of the maid on the Jetsons. Like, you know, Jetsons was a TV show, a cartoon yep. um, you know, set in the future. Yep. So I think he's just saying like, oh, tough questions. But they were talking about, you know, silly mundane things, not okay. um, the tough questions we would think like about the murder. Okay. Just silly dialogue. Again, very Glenn writing there to me. This policeman, Detective Barber, his okay. name is Richard McGonagall. He's definitely a familiar face, definitely a familiar face. He is known for voicing Victor Sullivan from Uncharted, General Grievous from Star Wars. His career began in 1963. He played Kincaid in General Hospital, in Cheers. He was an episode of Hill Street Blues. And, of course, he was in Remington Steel in 1985 for two episodes before he did Moonlighting. He then did Twilight Zone TV series, and also he was in... I don't know if anybody recognises him from Third Rock from the Sun, but he was Dr. Howard. He did eight episodes of Days of Our Lives, 16 episodes of The Practice, and he did six episodes of JAG. He has such a huge list of credits that I'm obviously not going to go through, but I'm sure everybody can recognise this actor. He's done so many things. Looks like the last thing he did was in 2020, so he may be working still. He may not be. I'm not quite sure. But that's Richard McGonagall. Anyway, so David walks out with this gentleman and he apologises for keeping him so long and says that, Because of his testimony, Gillian will be let out on her own recognizance. This is where he starts to light a cigarette. And Maddie's like, since when do you smoke? (laughs) Since about an hour ago. So he tells her what happened at the park, that Harlan ended up catching instead of pitching. And do you notice when they go past that window, the policeman gives him his keys back? Yeah. Did they take his keys when he was being interrogated? And how did Maddie get there? (laughs) Yeah, that's all (laughs) This is that's always the question with the it's, it's always the, the question BMW. because there's only one car and he had it, he had the BMW. And how does he get the BMW? Does he tell Maddie, I need the car tonight? Like, they share the car like a couple. That would have been great. Hey, Maddie, um, can I have the car? I got a date with Jillian. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> I guess I'm assuming that anytime one has the car and the other doesn't, they take a taxi. Yeah. Anyway, Maddie feels bad and says, I don't know what to say. Say? Not to say anything. So we disagreed. You say potato, I say spud. Yeah, I say spud. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) 
Well, at least yeah. and Maddie's thinking, oh, thank God, at least the case is over. But, of course, Gillian comes out with no blood on her jumper, which I find amazing, and the sexy music comes on again. And there's no blood on her jumper. Like you said, yeah, that's so funny. Well, yeah, Maddie is like saying, well, at least the case is over. And you could tell in her voice, she's kind of thinking now Jillian can go away. David mm-hmm. can come back to work and things can go back to normal. But then again, how can she think that? Because the husband's out of the picture now. I know that is a little bit of a bummer too. It's like, oh gosh, now she has like less reason to be gone, even mm-hmm. though she was getting divorced before, but still. Uh, what do you think about Maddie's outfit here? Yeah, she looks baggy. Yeah, really baggy. And the other thing I noticed too is that when the camera keeps going away from Maddie, there's a shot with David saying, you know, I might not be in tomorrow, I might not be in this week. And then David moves away from the camera. Then you have a shot of Maddie and the camera moves away from Maddie. It discloses her pantsuit, but the pants aren't sitting like they would if you were wearing normal shoes, Sybil. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? So the pants are sitting on the runners they're not flowing because she's not wearing normal yeah. shoes. Sorry, Sue. Yeah. yeah, I don't like these pants outfits that Maddie wears. Can't we just see her like a pair of jeans or something like that? But I guess <laughs> guess not. I guess this is nighttime and it's not something she normally wears to work. It's normally for climbing cars and coming to the <laughs> police station. And <laughs> so, yeah, her nighttime outfit. Yeah. Which makes but- sense because if she had shown up that late at the police station in her lovely dress, and that would have been a bit. She needed a different outfit. I just don't know if it's this outfit. And Maddie, as beautiful as she is, when Jillian is standing over there looking as beautiful as she is, yeah, it's kind of like, I hate to say it, but in this scene, David seems to go better with Jillian than Maddie in this. Yeah. How they're dressed, how they look. I don't know. How they're dressed, how they're acting. And after what has just happened, it seemed to gel better that he went to Jillian. Yeah. Visually, visually. Yeah. Visually. Yes. I mean, we don't like it, but I guess what they do is they do that really, really wide shot that makes Maddie look really, really small Mm. in the the very end. You know, they're standing on like opposite ends of that police station. And it's like Jillian and David in a big embrace on one hand and Maddie standing there like, okay, kind of just like left on her own in this big world or something. Yeah. I've written here. She looks so sad. Yes. Now we're starting to see the sadness. She really kind of feels him slipping away at this point. And then she kind of has to question her own feelings for him in a way, you know? But her face when she turns back and they're hugging. Oh my God. So sad. Oh my God. Yeah. She does like a double take. Yeah. And again, Sybil's really good using her eyes to kind of convey passion or sadness, looking down and blinking, looking back up, you know? She does look sad. Poor thing. Yeah. It's a sad end to a sad scene. I have a question. Okay. Um, In the credits, there's a gentleman called Bill Marcus. And when I looked it up, it says that Bill Marcus played the cop with the hooker. When I look at this guy that handcuffs the hooker to the chair, that's not Bill Marcus. So Hmm. I wanted to go and watch the episode again to find Bill Marcus because I'll tell you who Bill Marcus is. He's the bowling alley manager in North by North to Pesto. You know, when she has a date with Kyle at the bowling alley and she yeah. calls him and says, there's something wrong with my date. <laughs> yeah. That's Bill Marcus. And he's also in To Heiress Human as the police station desk clerk. 
okay. He's also got credit in this episode, and he's in the credits at the end of the episode. Mm. But interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because when I look it up on IMDb, they've got him as being in knowing her as the cop with the hooker, but he's not. The cop with the mm-hmm. hooker is a young guy. So I don't know where mm-hmm. he is. <laughs> Anyway, I'll have to watch it again. So if anybody can solve that mystery, yeah. that would be great. Yeah, maybe he's miscredited. I don't know. Mm. All right, so it's the next morning and Maddie's at her desk and she's ringing, 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 and then you realise she's ringing David and he's not answering. Mm. And, again, she's got mm. a really sad look mm. on her face and she's yeah. just sitting there sad because he hasn't come into work. Agnes walks in. And again, she knows what's going on, but all she says is yep. 603. It's lovely Maddie and Agnes dialogue again. Guess so, guess not, guess so, guess not. Agnes mm-hmm. knows, but she's just being nice and cute as she always is. Well, guess that's the day. Guess so. Guess Mr. Addison just never came in. Guess not. It's time to go home. Guess so. Guess Addison never called, huh? Guess not. I love all the dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Guess so. Guess not. It's very cute. And again, they're only single shots. They're all single mm. shots. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Agnes wants to give Maddie, you know, a chance to talk about it if she wants to. They're both probably sad that he hasn't come in. It's not Blue Moon unless it's Maddie and David, you know, bantering in the office. So boring day for the Wobblies. Maddie's missing him. It's kind of like um, witness for the execution, you know, when she's really missing him and like looking for him and putting ads in the paper. So we just know it's 6.03. He never came in. He never called. It's good to know that Maddie is really missing him. You know, we just get an insight to how Maddie is feeling. She wants him around. She misses him, that guy, you know. She's always trying to push him away or change him, but then when he's gone or he does change, she misses him. I find it interesting how this scene ends with a fade out. She just gets up to go home and it fades out. Yeah. The next morning, Maddie arrives for work and David's already there getting ready for the funeral. Why he would come into work to get ready for the funeral, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, we're not going to argue about that. We like to see them together, don't we? Yeah, I guess he had to show up at some point. (laughs) probably to say what he had to say (laughs) so it's great overlapping dialogue in this scene oh god Um, again a lot of single shots so i don't think they're together in this scene at all um the back Mm. of sybil's head obviously is the body double so um yeah so maddie on one hand is talking about the kevin fargo story how she didn't trust this guy and he was going to marry her friend and and on the other hand, he's saying he's got this funeral today and that Julian wants to get away and all this stuff. So you have to sort of watch it twice and listen to her side and then listen to his side. Yeah. And he's decided he wants to yeah. go with Julian after the funeral. Yeah. And he does say in there, by the time I had a pillow last night, I realized that I hadn't called. Yeah. You know, so he had thought of her, he says. But at that point, what was I going to say? I didn't come in. You already knew that. Basically, she's saying, I've spoken up when maybe my gut told me not to, to friends and lost friends that way before, but I'm going to do it again. I'm going to tell you that I don't have a good feeling about Jillian, which part of her is telling herself to stay out of it. On the other side, he's saying, I got to be there for Jillian right now. I'm sure you understand. She wants to go away. She's got a place up north. 
So I think I'm going to go with her. So he's just telling her he's leaving. Like what, David, how are you just so willing to walk away from Maddie right now? <laughs> so it's weird. just wrong, I tell you. It's just a weird thing. Like, no, you shouldn't be that willing to walk away from Maddie. He should be more torn. He loves Maddie. Why is he so willing to walk away? Yeah, it, it seems to be quite easy for him, doesn't it? It shouldn't be that easy. No, this is like he's with Maddie right now. You know what I mean? Like, I know Jillian's, you know, manipulating him and stuff like that. And he's like, I guess, but it's just too easy. I don't like it. We can swallow it better now. But gosh, I mean, a season later, fans would be real riled up about this. It's just too easy for him to just leave. Yeah, I don't get it. But okay. Now it's time for the question. Yes. Do you think at this point, you know, David's in here tying his tie and all of that, about ready to go to the funeral, et cetera. Has he slept with Jillian again now in this span of time, do you think? I got the impression he did because he was gone the whole day and that night before after they left the police station. So that's why I think he's more committed to this relationship by saying to Maddie, we're going to the funeral and then she's got land up north. I've decided I'm going to go with her because he's consummated the relationship again. So he thinks they're back together. That was my yes. impression. I would say yes as well. I'd say that because of this whole thing with Harlan, went home, comforted each other. I would say that they slept with each other. I think he's entered back into this relationship with Jillian and as a couple, they're going away now. The only reason I'd say maybe they didn't is because Jillian's such a manipulator and she didn't seem, you know, that into David with the kiss that, you know, she might just be dragging him along at this point with the promise of starting back up again. But then again, she's probably waiting till after the funeral to piss him off, <laughs> to be blunt. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what's going through her head. But I guess I would say yes. I would say I agree with you that they slept together. The previous 48 hours or whatever, they slept together, you know, again. And he's kind of back into this relationship. This scene when they've just got the one shot of Sybil talking, she's looking in the wrong direction again. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> just thought I'd mention that. Thank you for supporting us, Moonlighting fans. We hope you are enjoying our episodes. And if you feel so inclined, Shauna and I would be very appreciative if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts so that we know we're on track with our content and continue to provide you with a great experience. Yeah, no, that's good. But a question with that overlapping dialogue, don't you think that they probably recorded the dialogue at the same time because they didn't like to record one, record the other and overlap it? Or do you think that's what they did for this scene? No, I think it was done later. Okay. So they overlapped it. They each said because, their part and they overlapped it in post. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Because I'm telling you, this scene, they're not in the same room. So how did they do it? Yeah. But then how would they time it? But then at the end of the dialogue, his dialogue is kept going. He finishes last. Right. After she has stopped talking. So that's what makes me think it was done at a different time. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I answer that question. It could be either way. Write that down for a question for Jay Daniel. Okay. As he walks out, he says, she really likes you. Yeah, I have strong feelings about her too. Yes. I think we're to the part where he goes to the door and he's leaving and he turns around that, that kind of over the shoulder look turn. Oh my gosh. He's so handsome there. Yeah. His green eyes. He looks great. Yeah. And she says, have a nice funeral. He shuts the door yeah. and she says, you idiot. And he opens the door again. Did you say something? Me? No. Girl, you almost saw the good parts. She's yeah. really not saying the right things <laughs> at this stage. <laughs> she doesn't know what to say. She's kind of flustered. She's like me right now. She can't believe that he's just leaving. Yeah. Like, wow. Okay. She can't say that because 
someone else is in a vulnerable position and I guess she doesn't want to be selfish. But then what do you say to somebody who's going to a funeral? There's nothing. I know, really. exactly. Have a nice funeral. Nothing- like, have a nice day. <laughs> have a nice, I know. Yeah. But here's the question, Grace. When he closes the door and she says, you idiot, who is she talking to? Is she talking to herself or is she talking about David? No, she's talking to herself. She's calling herself an idiot. Yeah, I think she's I think she's calling herself an idiot because she said have a nice funeral and she probably feels it was the wrong thing to say. That's my impression, but um. I think it's bigger than that. I think if she's saying you idiot to herself, what she's saying you idiot about is like you let him walk out the door. Yeah, that's true. And if she's saying it to him, she's saying, David, you're an idiot for not seeing what's going on with Jillian. Or maybe it's a little both. Possibly. I think it's more to herself, you idiot, for not making him hear you and letting him leave. But like we say, Jillian needs him right now. They don't know the bigger picture of it right now. So how can she be like, don't leave, David, stay with me, don't go with Jillian? Bit of a complicated situation, I guess. So many things that are doing her head in, I think, by this stage. Yeah, a lot of unexpected things have been kind of thrown at her. So she sits down and she picks up the magnifying glass and is kind of like sitting in David's chair and... I guess mulling over kind of what, what the situation is right now. Yeah, so Agnes walks in and says, where's Mr. Addison? Because there's a detective to see him about the murder. Now, again, David would have seen him either in the office or down the corridor. So there wasn't enough time again. But, yes, I understand. We have only got 49, 50 minutes of television. Yeah, so Detective Barber walks in. He starts talking to her about the two-bullet, one-bullet theory. We usually don't get this lucky having a killing and a witness at the same time. He describes how he wants to get his paperwork right, otherwise they'll just return the paperwork to him because there's two bullets in the body, yet David only said that he heard one bullet and maybe he's mistaken. So he just walks out and she doesn't say anything. She doesn't say, oh, okay, well, I'll tell Mr. Addison, I'll speak to Mr. Addison for you. Well, (laughs) first of all, I wrote this detective as an idiot. Because, of course, he's like, it's nothing. It's really nothing. And it's just paperwork, you know? I mean, it's just, I have to verify. I'm sure it's nothing. You know, it is. It's everything, actually. There's two bullets in the body. And yeah, it's a big deal. And this dumb detective is like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, I'm just, I just need to verify with them about the one shot and just like finish off the paperwork. It's like, no, actually, come on. This is a huge red flag that there are two bullets in the body. I just said uh, the detective is stupid. Maddie sits there, contemplates the two bullets for a moment and realises, ah, two bullets. So at this stage, we don't know why she's had a light bulb moment. It's kind of hit Maddie what happens. Yes, it's all coming together for her. She knows exactly what's happened. So she goes straight to the funeral in her light-coloured gown. (laughs) I know, yes. Well, I think it's very telling that Maddie's in white and Jillian's in black. Of Mm. course, she's there for a funeral, but still. Yeah, But I absolutely love Jillian's dress. Yeah, she looks gorgeous, doesn't she? And the shoulders, it kind of has like pointed shoulders. It's very kind of Lady Gaga. It's like before it's time or maybe it came back around. The cut of the dress, the dress has kind of straight pointed shoulders if you look at it. And then, of course, you know, it just fits her figure really well and everything. But um, I just love that dress. I love the shoulders on that dress. But yes, I think very purposely Maddie is in a, a very white dress. You know, it's very much like good versus evil. Yeah, it's a great contrast between them. Like she's the Black Widow and Maddie's the angel come to save the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
David Addison, you are an idiot. David Addison, you are an idiot. I love how she uh, says that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. But how many times, this is another count, how many times is David called stupid? <laughs> like, you know, David, <laughs> poor David gets abused in the show. <laughs> You know what I mean? He, and then he starts questioning his own intelligence later in this scene. She's just always commenting on how stupid he is, dumb David and all that. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, definitely not the first time. Yeah, but just going back a minute, the shot of the casket being brought down by the pallbearers out of the building oh, and it comes yeah. down and goes down and you see Gillian shaking hands with people. So mm-hmm. it must be just after the ceremony. Yeah. And that's when she says, Addison, you are an idiot. He's not happy with her. He's like, nice of you to dress. Because she's wearing her light colored suit. She just asks him straight, how many shots did you hear the night Harlan died? And that's when he says about, oh, yeah, I know this joke. You can't bury survivors. (laughs) But of course, Maddie says, keep making jokes. You're going to need them. Your Jillian's a killer. You're telling me. (laughs) Telling me. (laughs) Great line. Your Jillian's a killer. Yeah, it's great. But everything's so fast. It's, you know, boom, 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 boom. Oh, I just love it. I think she took a shot at a dead man. Yeah, you're taking a few shots yourself, Maddie. I think she's had, had a few shots of vodka or yes. something. He drinks. <laughs> Again, he's like, not very nice to Maddie. He thinks that she's just this green-eyed monster, as he calls her, green-eyed snake. Don't you think if the guy had been dead before she shot him, I would have noticed? Listen, you little green-eyed snake. <laughs> green-eyed snake. Um, green eyed what and they're nose to nose again it's just that um, I don't like how he treats Maddie in this episode he's kind of throwing Maddie away for this woman that's just like come back into his life and he's just like why are you here Maddie uh, you know you're just throwing around all these allegations that aren't even true not even listening to her not respecting Maddie not like thinking and then of course he kind of takes a turn after we find out the reality but I just don't like how willing he is to walk away from Maddie and how he treats her it is surprising but he does have a history with this woman and he lived with her. Yeah, true. We also know that Jillian's a manipulator, so I guess it has to be chalked up. And she's doing a great job. Doing a great job, and he's not thinking with his mm. head, as we know. No, that's right. Maddie tells him that they pulled two bullets out, and he turns around shocked. And he goes, says who? Says the police, that's who. Yeah. And, of course, he starts getting all defensive, saying, no, it was one shot because I was there and I heard it. This is where I'm not sure whether she has changed the words in the script or this is how the script was written, she goes, then that's it. That's it. He goes, what do you mean that's it? If you say you only heard one shot and the police removed two shots, then Harlan was a dead man when you saw his wife kill him. Now, in that sentence, she says, you only heard one shot and the police removed two shots. Should she have said, and the police removed two bullets? Uh, Tell me the line again. If you say you only heard one shot and the police removed two shots, then Harlan was dead when you saw his wife kill him. Mm, Yeah. Pulled out two bullets. Seems like she she should say bullets there, not shots. Mm. Yeah. Well, they're wrong. It was one shot, Maddie Hayes, one shot. And I know because I heard it. And I heard it because I was there. Then that's that. That's what then? Then that's that. If you say you only heard one shot, the police say they removed two shots. One shot. And I say Harlan Armstrong was dead when you saw his wife kill him. Yeah. So he gets on the defensive like... Don't you think I would have noticed? And that's when she just glares at him. In other words, that's when he says, listen, you little green-eyed snake. <laughs> I can't believe he said that. Mm-hmm. So David says there was one bullet 
and prior to its insertion, the man was alive. See, you little green-eyed snake. There was little one bullet. What? Prior to its insertion, the man was alive. Two bullets dead. One bullet alive. Two bullets dead. Two bullets dead. Alive. 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 Yeah, that's great. That is such great dialogue. Great dialogue and great timing. I know. Yes. The delivery of all of this. Great scene. And guess what? I think they're all there together. Yes, they are. And we've seen other pictures, outtakes. Yes. And there's a picture with Sybil and Peter Warner on the set as well. Yeah. But we've seen that they were all together for this scene. And you know what? It shows. This scene actually is like a normally shot scene. Yeah. (laughs) As opposed to the others that are those like close, tight shot singles. And there's a few wide shots there. Sybil's got her shoes on, which is nice to see. It's also interesting because in the outtake pictures, she has her runners on. Yeah, and Um, that's obvious when early in the scene that she's wearing her runners. Not that you can see them, but just how she's walking. When there's a wide shot, to her credit this time, she has her shoes on. So Gillian comes up to them to find out what the hell is going on. And whatever it is, can't wait till after the funeral. Again, they do the no yes thing together. Yes, I love that. David doesn't want to get into it now. No, he's like, it's a funeral. And she's like, it's not her funeral, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Women, you can't live with them. You can't leave them by the curb when you're done with them. Yeah, I guess that line, but usually about men. (laughs) (laughs) This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, Maddie's like, why don't you just ask her, David? Just ask her. We're in the middle of a funeral here. I'm not going to ask her and whatever. And, you know, Jillian kind of pushes the issue and ask her what? Maddie's the one that has to say it to her. Like, the police say that there were two bullets. But David heard one shot. Well, David is mistaken. There you go. There's the twist. There's where everything starts bending back towards Maddie with David. Because David's like, wait a second. Now it starts dawning on him. No, there was one shot. No, there were two. You're mistaken. There was one shot. I do this for a living. I heard it. There was one shot. Now, the light bulb moment for him, he's starting to put the pieces together, sees all the manipulation. You loosened that balcony railing, didn't you? You took the extra tranquilizers, right? And Harlan's car was there the whole time. So was Harlan. Dead in the front seat. He's waiting for you to come over, fake a tussle, shoot him for the second time. Me too, lovesick to see anything straight. Yes. I don't know how she thought she could manipulate this part of the plot because he's a private investigator. As he says, I do this for a living. And me too, lovesick to see anything straight. He's telling the truth. Yep. 
and Julian says, well, I guess that's going to be your word against mine. So she's had all this planned out. But he's really changed his tune now and he's devastated. He says, how do you do that? I can feel the chill over here. What a light. How cold is that? (laughs) Starting to see her for what she really is. Maddie does a big sigh. Without looking at her, he says, don't you say a word. But that was nice seeing them in the same scene, even though there were a lot of single shots. It was good to see them in the same shot. Yes, that was just a more full scene, a scene where you can tell that they were there and you can see them playing off of each other. And now he sees that Maddie is just really looking out for his best interest and that she was trying to point out all along that he's being manipulated, but it took this to happen for him to actually see it. Then Jillian goes off and then she goes and gets in the car. And now this is when it turns a little bit slapstick, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So good. She's taking off and Maddie and David run to get the hearse (laughs) to chase her. And then the funny thing is everybody thinks that it's the funeral procession and they all get in their cars. And so this is really funny. This is, this is like great moonlighting humor. If you think about it, it's finest. A chase funeral procession. Everybody's involved in chase and they think it's the funeral procession, but, (laughs) but they're all like, trying to keep up with the chase, you know, it's really funny. It's so funny. However, I have a question. They were at the cemetery, right? Yeah. So you would assume that this is Harlan's casket in the hearse. It looks like the same one. So yeah. why? It looks like the mortuary is at the cemetery. So why didn't they have the burial? I don't get it. Unless they put it back in the car to drive to the burial plot. Right, true. Yeah, maybe the plot was in a different part because that cemetery looks pretty big. Mm. And by the way, that cemetery is still there. I did not visit it, unfortunately. It's a little bit outside of Los Angeles, a little bit outside of, you know, you'd have to drive to it. It's in in a different town. But uh, you can look it up on Google Maps and it looks pretty much the same. It would be kind of fun to go and just see where they, I'm sure you could easily find where they filmed that scene. So Julian gets in the hearse, drives off, and the first thing they think of is, oh, let's get in the hearse, which happens to have the key in it, and they drive off. I know. So we're off, guys. I don't know where these guys think this hearse is going. This is the only thing that confuses me. But anyway, it's funny and we love it. Yeah. So we have our (laughs) a car chase with a funeral procession, which is great. And I love how Maddie says, David, this is the hearse. Yeah, so? Nothing, just... I always thought the first time I rode in one of these, I'd be on my back. Don't tempt me. <laughs> now he's back to flirting David with Maddie. Yeah, he's changed his tune. Yeah, now he's definitely changed his tune, yeah. Mm. David's being open to Maddie about his relationship with Jillian. He's like... She really made a chump out of me, didn't she? Twice in one life? It's got to be some kind of record. David, you're driving awfully fast. What is it with me? It's not like I'm stupid. It's just like I just had this one blind spot. Maybe that's God's way of evening up the score. Gives you great looks, terrific personality, and shaves a couple watts off the old light bulb. Guess I can live with that. <laughs> I can live with that. Yeah. You know, I'm not as smart as some. Um, yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's a lot so of well done, this procession. The fastest funeral procession I have ever seen. Yeah, it's so funny. Maddie's saying, well, we're being followed. David, there's a coffin back there. David, there's a coffin back there. You're kidding a coffin in a hearse. Call Mike Wallace. Do you think there's a dead body in it? What do you mean do I think there's a dead body in it? Of course there's a dead body in it. What do you think these guys carry spares? spares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think about Maddie getting car sick? Um, I don't really like in it. The, in the past, yeah. she's just screamed. Ah! 
you know, her lovely screams. But this time I think with the dead body in the back, I think that's something that she can't cope with. So she thinks she's going to throw up. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was like the motion of the car was making her sick from, but she's never gotten sick before and they've been in other chases and stuff. So yeah, it didn't really like make a lot of sense to me, but yeah. And then she's like, David, I'm going to throw up on you. It's like, really? (laughs) Do we we need this? (laughs) Uh, Pretty funny. Then they make their way over to a, outdoor movie drive-in theater and go up and down the bumps and it's making her more sick i love how the music changes when the cars go up and down the bumps yeah um I, yeah, not, what is the music? yeah i'm not sure of that music i've just put here circus slash theme park music but i don't yeah. know what this the actual song is i think we get that in another episode of moonlighting too mm. later it is like circus music you're right also, there's a couple Stooges noises. I think I think Sybil does one. Bruce definitely does. Yes, when there's a car in the way, he has to turn left. So Gillian decides to enter a baseball area where they're playing baseball and yeah. smashes through a refreshment stand. Yes. And then the casket slides out. <laughs> <laughs> so silly. And slides onto one of the bases on the baseball diamond. And Maddie and David run back there. And he's safe. He's safe! You're out. But before that, when they end up getting to this baseball game, the music that comes on is take me out to the ball game. Right. As I've told you the other day, Shauna, take me out to the ball game was written by Jack Norworth and Albert Van Tilzer. When they wrote this song, they had never been to a ball game in their life. That's so funny. It's hilarious because it's I such know. a good song. I know. And it so like speaks to like everything that happens at a ballpark. They must have just looked at all the elements and been like, oh, this is what people do there. Let's just write a song about it. But that's a funny scene when it lands on the base and he's safe. That is just the most hilarious line. So good. Very good. <laughs> yeah. I like how he says, yeah, he's safe. And you're out. And I'm sorry. And Sybil's face is very kind of like you're forgiven, pouty. And then you know what's funny? And then they look great standing next to each other again. And it's kind of funny how it's like they're pulled apart and he almost looks better with Jillian. And then they're, here they are back together at the beginning, standing next to each other. And you're just like, yeah, there you go. They look gorgeous together. So it started off, they were together. They've gone through all this thing in 50 minutes of this episode. And they end up back together again, which we always love to see. You can now go to coffee.com slash moonlighting the podcast. That's ko-fi.com slash moonlighting the podcast and buy yourself a door slam. Yes, that's right. A door slam. Some devoted moonlighting fans have contacted us since we began this project to find out how they can support us. As you are well aware, Shauna and I do this with great joy and we have so much fun creating this podcast every week and interacting with you guys on social media and via our fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com email. So we would be ever so grateful for any small donation that you can make. Maddie would be proud. And then we have the end love tag as Bruce calls it. I don't know what to make of this end tag. So let's think about this. David, he's obviously out. He's got his nighttime outfit on, his jeans, his T-shirt, his leather jacket. I'm thinking, in my mind, he was out drinking with the boys, drinking, you know, the club, playing pool, whatever. Thinking of Maddie, knows that he kind of abandoned her in the last, you know, week or two or whatever that Jillian came back into the picture. 
knows that she was, you know, supporting him through it anyway, feels bad about it, gets a red rose, goes to the office, thinks he'll leave her this rose. He writes this note. The note was fine. The note was like, sometimes I am an idiot. And then he leaves and then he comes back and then he decides not to leave it. And he takes everything like, why did he decide not to leave it? (laughs) I don't know. It would be too much at this point in time, but it's not like he's saying, Maddie, I love you or something. It's like, I'm sorry. Sometimes I am an idiot. And then he takes it all back. So I don't know. I don't really get this end tag. Yeah. When I see this, I'm thinking the writers are playing games with us. <laughs> okay. It would have been nice for him to leave it there. And you're right. He didn't say I love you or anything. It would have just been nice for her to get a rose. Doesn't mean they're going to have sex the next day. You know what I'm saying, writers? Yeah. The thought was great that he actually thought about getting a rose, bringing it yeah. back to the office and writing her a note, even though he's walked in three times. And then he changes his mind and goes, no. Nah. <laughs> I'm not doing this. <laughs> but why? <laughs> why wouldn't he do it? It wasn't like sending that strong of a message. But you're right, though. I mean, I guess we have to look at it like back in the day, Glenn, the writers, everybody, cast and crew, they're trying to build this tension between Maddie and David. And they're always teasing viewers, like you said. They want to tease us a little bit. Oh, something's going to happen. He's going to you know, profess a little bit of love to her. She's going to get that message. And then, nope, oh, she's not. And then they take it all back and like maybe we're left a bit disappointed. And it got worse as it went along. I know. We're always being being tugged around. We're being gaslighted. (laughs) We're being gaslighted. (laughs) That's a great movie. Um, Do you know the song that he is singing as he comes in? No. What was it? The song he's singing is called No Escape from the Blues. It was sung by Muddy Waters. Okay. Oh, my God. It's such a good song. And I'd play it now for you, except I'd get arrested. Muddy Waters... His name was McKinley Morganfield and he was born in 1913 and he died in 1983. So he actually died a few years before Bruce sang this song. And Muddy Waters, he was an important figure in the post-war blues scene. He was known as the father of the modern Chicago blues. Really good song. So I looked it up and I played it and I'll play it for you after we stop recording, Shauna. But it is a really good song. I've actually added it to my playlist on Spotify. Oh, okay. So when David says, well, someone made a big mistake when they said life was a bowl of fruit, that is the first line of the song, but Mm -hmm. he sings it at the end. Okay. He comes in and he says, she said, Dave, if you've got no money, I'm not going to hang around and be your slave. But it's actually made in the song, not slave. Okay. Um, Yeah, so he puts the rose on the table, walks out, comes back in, writes a note, comes back in, (laughs) takes it away, (laughs) screws up the paper. And that's when he says, well, someone made a big mistake when they said life was a bowl of fruit. And did you notice when he leaves after saying that, he lifts up his leg to turn off the light? Yeah. He's nowhere near the light switch. Let's just say that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think the lights even went out a little bit before his toe hit the wall. (laughs) So I really liked this episode. It was full of laughs, revealing emotions. It was a pretty good plot. Lots of emotions between Maddie and David, David and Gillian, Maddie and Gillian. It was all happening. A funeral procession car chase. Who would have thought of that? A dishonest ex, Maddie changing a tire in the rain, and David purchasing some pantyhose. Yes, solid episode for sure. Yeah, another classic episode with funny lines. But a lot of drama as well and dark too, like we've got a murder. Yeah, someone kills her own husband. 
and tries to set up David and manipulate him and pull him away from Maddie. And it almost worked. She almost got away with it. And what would have happened if she did? How long would Dave, you think uh, Jillian would have dumped David pretty quick again? Or do you think they would have gone off into the sunset? No, no sunset for them. Yeah. It's too evil. <laughs> yeah, actually, I forgot to mention the funeral march. That yeah. was written by Chopin, Frederick Chopin yeah. in 1836. So there's a bit of trivia for you. So, Shauna, is this episode in your top 10? It is. Woohoo! <laughs> yes. 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 A great episode, like you said. So, revealing um, with emotions, get a deeper understanding of Maddie and David's relationship, and more revealing of David's past. Just that he was this committed guy in this relationship for whatever time they were together and how devastated he was and everything. It just shows that he could be a really committed guy. But yeah, for all the elements that you just said, yes, it's in my top 10. And how about you? This episode is in my top 10. Yay. <laughs> all right. I think, yeah, last week's was in our top 10 as well, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So before we go okay. any further, I just want to talk about the writers of this episode, Jeff Reno and Ron Osborne, who were the integral part of Atomic Shakespeare as well. Ron Osborne looks like he wrote 14 episodes of Moonlighting and Jeff Reno wrote 14 episodes of Moonlighting. Wow. And I actually know their names also from West Wing because I'm oh. a really mad West Wing fan. And yeah. they both wrote an episode in West Wing called Enemies in 1999, which is a great episode. And now I know why. <laughs> yeah. So both Ron and Jeff produced nine episodes of West Wing as well as consulting oh, wow. producers. Yeah. They went on to do so many other things, but well-renowned, great writers and producers. So a big shout-out to Jeff Reno and Ron Osborne. Yeah. And I'd love to talk to them one day about Atomic. That would be lovely. In last week's episode, I did say I was going to talk about Artie and Neil. Yeah. Because we ran out of time there. Artie and Neil, obviously they're brothers, Artie and Neil Mandelberg. I'll go through Neil first. As an editor, he did 11 episodes of Moonlighting, and a few of those were Shirts and Skins, A Womb with a View, Atomic Shakespeare, Symphony and Knocked Flat, Sleep Talking Guy. He did 19 episodes of Medium and 34 episodes of Ghost Whisperer. Now, with Neil, he has won two Primetime Emmy Awards for editing Dream Sequence in 1986, editing Atomic in 1987, and The Temptations in 1999. So that's Neil. With Artie, he has been nominated twice in 86 for Outstanding Drama Series for Moonlighting and in 1987 for Outstanding Drama Series for Moonlighting. Now, as a producer, he did 60 episodes of Moonlighting. Uh, he directed a couple of episodes of Medium, one of CSI Miami and four episodes of Moonlighting, which were Shirts and Skins, The Colour of Maddie, Here's Living With You Kid and Eka Spouse. And he edited the pilot. So they did a lot of work, Artie and Neil, in the background of Moonlighting. They took on many yeah. roles, um, editing, producing, even directing. So well done, Artie and Neil. It'd be great to have them on the podcast anytime. They're on our we list. Love, we'd love to pick their brains. How many outfit changes did you have, Shauna? I've got, let's see, let me go through it here. 
I think Sybil had five different outfits on during this episode. That is correct. I've got in the intro, she had a ripped dress. The next day, she wore that light apricot suit. At the police station, she wore the pink pantsuit with a grey shirt. The next day, she wore a pink suit, a different one, when David didn't show up for work. And then a white suit when she was telling him about the Kevin Fargo story and when she went to the funeral. So there was five costume changes. What about door slams? How many door slams did you have? I had three. Oh, I had six. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're so much better at doing the door slams. Go through them. Okay, so the intro, she slams open the front door. Yeah. Then she enters office and slams the door. Number three, she pushes David and closes the door of the bathroom. Okay. Um, Then she slams open the door when she says, uh, what do you want from the bathroom? And then David slams it after she tells him to get out. And then she slams the door again when she leaves to see Harlan Armstrong. I got six. All right, yes. And we only have one cut of her feet coming out of the elevator, even though they're not her feet. And (laughs) we have no rhymes from Agnes. How about some Moonlight Trivia? It's now time for Moonlight Trivia. Okay. So at the very beginning... There's a puppy dog. What's <laughs> what's the puppy dog got on? It's in the rain and somebody's walking it along the footpath and it looks like it's got a little coat and a, a little visor on or something. It's keeping it wet. I know that. <laughs> keeping it wet. I think it was a little raincoat. It's supposed to keep it dry. But, yeah, I don't know if it was working. And, yeah, it looked like the dog had a little visor on as well. I know it was really funny. It was cute, but it was a little bit blurry to see, but that's what it looked like. When Jillian is in the hospital, there's a machine next to her and there's a number written on the machine. What's the number? 10. Yeah. (laughs) Was that one of your trivia questions? It was one of my trivia questions, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Darn it. I thought that was the one I was going to stump you because I've never noticed it before. But of course, you know, I was trying to like find some things that were a little bit hidden. When Maddie came to the hospital and met David outside the door and they walk, as they're walking back towards the elevator, how many people do they pass? Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is the one that's going to stump you. Okay, so I remember somebody coming out with a long dressing gown with a nurse out of a room. Then there's an an old guy walking past, walking a folded-up wheelchair. But I I didn't count the people that they walked past, no. I counted seven. Seven? I was like, yeah, I know, quite a few. There was like a man and a woman, and then there were two men, another man and a woman, I think, and then just one person on their own. Anyway, it worked out to seven. I think there was like maybe one nurse on her own. Yeah, I noticed there's a lot of extras in the background in this scene. What do you got? How many times does Agnes knock on the door to tell Maddie that Gillian Armstrong was there to see her? How many knocks? Um, Two. Five. Really? Mm. She goes, one, two, three, four, five. I couldn't believe it. I thought, why is she knocking so much? How funny. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's a good one. I did not notice that. Okay. So what was the name of Maddie's friend that asked her to be a bridesmaid? Mm, that's a good question. Let me see if I have it in my notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wrote down Kevin Fargo. I know that name. It was like gosh, Miriam or something like that. Um my friend, oh, that's, a good, that's a good question. I should know that. It escapes me. What was her name? 
Her name was Joyce. Oh, Joyce. Good old Joyce. She had another friend, Joyce, huh, besides the uh, SRT lady? Yeah, it's nice to know she had another friend at least. And Kevin was caught polishing someone else's silverware. <laughs> That's such yes. a Glenn line too. Okay, last question. When Jillian turns into the drive-in, there is a vehicle turning out of the drive-in. What type of vehicle is it? I believe it's a VW Bug. No. Ah, crap. I suck today. So she turns left into the drive-in, yeah. but there's a I, type of vehicle, a type of vehicle coming out. Type. It's like I can just picture it. I, I know, like, I've seen it drive out before. I think the V-Dub was in a different Yeah, different I, I definitely remember, like, VW being somewhere. Was it a type of vehicle? Was it a tractor or something? No. A motorcycle? No, it was, believe it or not, it was a Winnebago. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can kind of picture that. Yeah, that's funny. A Winnebago. What's a Winnebago doing in the driving and during the day? That's what I want to know. Oh, I know. It's time to look at stats. So far, we have 25 door slams. Wow. That added up quick because they started late. Because we had 14 in My Fair David. The feet out of the elevator total is five. We have one singing Bruce at the end of the episode. No rhymes from Agnes. So we still have 4.5 rhymes from Agnes. <laughs> so far, Bruce has sung five times. We had seven songs in this episode. Eensy Weensy Spider, This Old Heart of Mine, the theme park music, which I'm not sure what that's called, Singing in the Rain, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, The Funeral March. And no escape from the blues. Wow, lots of music in here in this episode. And it's no blink and wonder it's not streaming. I know, but you know what? Come on. Come on, Disney. Come on, Disney. Disney has the money. (laughs) Pony it up. Pony up. That's Scott Ryan says. Yep, I just say what Scott Ryan says. Yes. Pony up the money. Forget Iron Man 7 and stream Moonlighting. We need it now more than ever. All right. So let's go through some of our lovely Moonlighting fans' emails that they've sent us. It's now time for Moonlight Mail. Recently, Allegra Garcia sent us an audio. Here's what she had to say. Hello, my name is Allegra Garcia, and I was first introduced to Moonlighting in junior high school. Tuesday nights, it looked something like, who's the boss? Maybe growing pains. And then nine o'clock? was Moonlighting. I remember seeing the show in like seventh or eighth grade for the first time and thinking, who and what is this? This fast talking, door slamming banter, the music, the chemistry. It was like my eyes had been opened to a whole new world. I was introduced to screwball comedy, film noir, Shakespeare. I even did one of my English papers on the Taming of the Shrew and I remember my teacher saying, oh, you're such an old soul for picking this. Nope, Moonlighting. To this day, I still believe it's one of the best written shows around and Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis were magic. I remember asking my dad, what's kismet? Do bears bear? Do bees be? And I know I'm not the only one who decided to start playing the harmonica. Growing up, I got in trouble for having bad grades in school and my punishment from my parents was they took away my moonlighting. 
Now they did allow for me to continue to record the episodes to watch at a later date, but let's be honest, there probably weren't any new episodes anyway, so I probably really wasn't missing much. To this day, I still remember dialogue from the show, and I'm looking forward to this podcast. Sybil, Bruce, Glenn, and Elise, we, your fans, salute you. Thank you, Allegra, for taking the time to record your audio for us. Those were some great memories, and Shauna and I really enjoy hearing all the different stories of how moonlighting really affected all of our lives. So thank you so much, Allegra. We've got another email from Lucy and she says, loving the podcast, I've finally caught up with you. I have one suggestion when reviewing My Fair David in my top 10, of course. Can you count how many times David loses the bet before he sings money in the street towards the end? We reckon it's at least seven times, sometimes in Maddie's presence, sometimes when he's behind her and twice when he persuades her to wait in the car. It confirms to me that Maddie let David get away with a lot and her character didn't start out as the heartless person she became towards the end of season three. Thanks again, Lucy. Yes, you're right, Lucy. Sorry, but we'd already recorded My Fair David. So I think Shauna and I should review that for next week's episode. What do you think, Shauna? Review how many times he lost the bet? Yes. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to count and a good thing to look at. Yep. That's seven, huh? All right. We'll take a look. Well, thank you to everybody who has left a review. We've read some of them before on Apple Podcasts. We've got 25 reviews on Apple Podcasts with a perfect 5.0 rating, which is amazing. Thank you, everyone who took the time to leave a review for us. We love to see what people have to say, and we're so pleased that everybody has just been pleased with the podcast, what they've heard so far. So Scottsdale Angel left one just a couple days ago. It says, the Moonlighting podcast is fantastic. It is so great to revisit one of the best shows of the 80s. Grace and Shauna make this podcast great, great. A must for all Moonlighting fans. And that's all we need to hear to keep us going. Just love hearing those reviews and seeing the five rating and just really lets us know that we're on the right track and pleasing the audience and giving you guys what you want to hear. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. It really makes it all worthwhile. A lot of hard work we put into the podcast, but It makes it all worthwhile because we really want everybody to enjoy all the content we're releasing each week. So thank you so much for taking the time to give us a review. We really appreciate it. We had quite a few comments on Facebook regarding our comments from Dream Sequence regarding the term Jim Dandy because I took it as a character's name that they maybe they changed it. Judy, that's in our group, she put a comment on Facebook You asked about Jim Dandy. He's talking about the murder and says it was a Jim Dandy. I looked it up and it means it was a notable thing, which that makes sense when he says, yeah, it was a Jim Dandy, but it's not how he says it. If he had said, yeah, it was a real Jim Dandy. If he had said it like that, I would have gone, oh, okay, it was a big, it was a big thing. But he just says, yeah, Jim Dandy as if it was somebody's name. Danielle says the reference means a guy who rescues a woman from a bad situation her husband is Rita's Jim Dandy because he rescued her from Palookaville. So that was Danielle's view on it. And also I put on here that after we had recorded Dream Sequence, I did some research and found out that Jim Dandy was the character in Desperately Seeking Susan that Robert Joy got instead of Bruce. So Bruce missed out on the part and Robert Joy got the role. Robert Joy is Clark Graydon from My Fair David. 
Um, and I thought it was an inside joke because Bruce didn't get the role. So it's interesting how everybody had all these these different views on Jim Dandy, but it's clearer to me now that it was a real Jim Dandy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't know. So, yeah, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, so if you can, guys, if you can email us your thoughts when I have questions on the podcast because it'll be easier for me to find. If you're putting a post on Facebook, it might get lost and I might not see it. So if you could email us, that'd be great. And Shauna and I will read it out on the podcast. This one's from Kathy. The dream sequence always rings twice is a real Jim Dandy of an episode. Jim Dandy is an old saying, meaning something excellent of its kind. Not a phrase used often anymore. As they say, the origins come from a minstrel song from the 1800s about a black character named Dandy Jim. In the 1940s to 50s, however, you often heard things being referred to as a real Jim Dandy. And I kept waiting for Grace to tell us how Jack Bannon, Jerry Adams, starred in the 1970s show Lou Grant and was a recurring character in St. Elsewhere too. I kept thinking about him after listening to the episode today, so I looked him up. Not a surprise they'd use him in this role on Moonlighting, as he has some old Hollywood in his blood. He is the son of the actor who played Red Rider in all of the 1940s, 50s westerns, and his mother is B. Benadaray from Petticoat Junction, lots of old-time radio, and the voice of Betty Rubble. Get out of town, Shauna. His mother, his Yeah, his mother was the voice of Betty Rubble. And thanks for noticing, I enjoyed going back to re-watch the beginning to see how the ghost dialogue matches what we are seeing on the screen. Listening in Chicago, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah, very informative. She did some research for me. Thank you, darling. That was really good. Yes, you're right. With regards to when I do the research, it's just for time constraints. I can't go through everything they've been in. Um, If I had have known this, I would have used it. That's great. She should be my little assistant, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That'd be great. Uh, This email's from Danielle. Hi, ladies. I just wanted to let you know if you ever have a question about what they say or what's in the scripts, I have all of them. Oh, God bless you, Danielle. So I can go through them or whatever, just let me know. I'm happy to help. The scripts are also cool to have because in episodes there are completely different missing scenes and it's cool to speculate why they were changed. And they're shooting drafts, so all the scenes were shot. They just never aired and we never saw any deleted scenes. It doesn't make much of a difference in the first two seasons, but most definitely in the third, fourth and fifth. Thank you so much again for doing this podcast. It just makes me so happy. If you need help with legwork or whatever, let me know. Thanks, Danielle. (laughs) Wow, that's awesome. She's got all the scripts. I would love to sit here and go through all of those. Yes, you're right about the deleted scenes. They're not even on any of the DVDs. That would be awesome if they had deleted scenes on there. Thank you for your offer, Danielle. We need to keep both of them on speed dial. Yes, we need these girls on speed dial, that's for sure. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see some of the deleted scenes or some of the changed dialogue. So yeah, Danielle, if you, for any upcoming episodes, if you think any, anything is interesting, send it to us so we can talk about it, add it into the podcast. So what episode are we going to be talking about next week, Shauna? Next week, we are talking about season two, episode seven, Somewhere Under the Rainbow. As opposed to Over the Rainbow. Intriguing. Directed by Peter Crane and written by Deborah Frank and Carl Sorter. It's all about a mysterious leprechaun. A little fantasy episode. It's kind of different. 
Yes, it's a different type of plot. Interesting. It's all about trying to find the leprechaun's pot of gold. There's some really cute things that happen in the episode, but there is some Sybil and Bruce laughing out of character here. (laughs) And I love the ending to this episode, but we won't get ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about that next week, Shauna. (laughs) Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting the Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.